What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're hanging out with my friend Jules Jensen. I've been wanting to have Jules on the podcast for a long time. If you don't know Jules, he is a drummer, music producer, singer, songwriter, Ableton Live playback engineer, and pretty brilliant at that, if I may say. In the last 10 years, he's played over a thousand nationwide gigs. He's played with many bands and artists helping them set up their live playback rigs. He's produced a multi-year music festival, obtained song placements in video games like NBA 2K Playgrounds. He also helped build a radio podcast piece with Jay Allison's transom.org. He's also worked with Laura Escaday and done playback with Electronic Creatives. They do playback for many famous platinum Grammy artists that you all know. He also helped manage the entire Transmute educational program founded by Laura, helping artists build their live performance rigs using Ableton. If you are listening to the podcast, I appreciate if you leave a like and a review. If you don't think the podcast sucks on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening. And if you want to be the first to get new episodes and free Ableton Live devices and different things I'm sending out in the newsletter, join the newsletter. Just go to liveproducersonline.com slash newsletter. Happy to hang out with you there. I really enjoyed this episode with Jules. We nerd out really hard in this episode. So for anybody that's remotely interested in live performance or any kind of weird, crazy routing, Jules is the guy and we go pretty deep. So enjoy. Trying to get out there. I will be in LA in a couple of weeks for rehearsals for this tour I'm going on doing playback um, for Benny. Sick. Big artist. I'm not too familiar with Benny. But I wasn't until they hired me, but she's pretty big. She's got like 6.7 million monthly on Spotify and like 600K on Insta and got some good, you know, features and stuff like that that she, she does. So, dude, congrats. That's dope. How did you meet her? Uh, it's all through EC. Oh, okay. Sweet. Yeah, AJ, AJ put me on the Laura Grapevine. Yes, That's sir. Small world, dude. That's actually how we met. Um, so glad to have you on the podcast. I've been wanting to do this for a while since we met back in the good old Master Track days. Yes. Wait, that was like what? 2000. It was 19. The 19? beginning of 19, I think, right? Or Damn, dude. That's probably right. Yeah. Yeah, it's all blurs together. It's crazy. You could almost tell me like does. anything in t- late 2019, 2020 or 2021 <laughs> happened and I'd be like, "Sure, that's when that happened." But yeah. I think it was March, something like that. Yeah, it, 2019. Yeah, there was like what 15 of us or so. Um, did you stay? Did you stay in the Airbnb with all of us? No, I was just... staying with some friends from back home who lived like right down the road from the Harmon okay. Center, which was awesome. So, but I was over there hanging for a couple of the nights. With... Yeah, you did come over a few times. Jeff yeah. Kaler, I remember Jeff like pulled out his laptop. We were having like just hang out Max for Live nerd out sessions at oh, this like... Airbnb. Uh, for anybody listening, Master Track, if you're not familiar, is like. Laura Escaday, she was one of the first or the first Ableton certified trainer in the yep. world. And she started a playback thing. She's done a lot of playback. She was on this podcast a long time ago, um, twice, actually. She was on the podcast twice with AJ and a bunch of people that work with her through Electronic Creatives, her team that does playback for like huge artists. Uh, Kanye was like her, f- I think, first major client that she really worked with. Yep. So pretty good way to get in the game. Yeah, it is for sure. <laughs> Also insane. But. Yeah, that's what you're right. Also that part. A yeah. Crazy gig, but I feel like definitely kept her on her toes because a word on the street is that he would change his mind a lot on tour. So yeah, yeah, put it mildly, but nothing keeps a playback engineer sharp like having the artist change their mind about their set every other night in real time. I mean, classic yeah. Laura Wee on TV yeah. uh, incident. 
or whatever. Like oh, they're on some TV gig and yeah, like she's under the stage and he wanted to play the first half of some song and just like assumed everybody would know that. And you get to yeah. the second chorus, like skip ahead and we went on an extra bar and he's like, Laura, are we on TV? And I guess like his fan base were like, who's he talking about? And like right. figured out who she was. And and it was like, she had like death threats too, didn't she? Something like, like that, which seems a little unnecessary. Seems a little intense for a Kanye show. Yeah, I don't think that's necessary. That's, yeah. hilarious. that's hilarious though. Yeah, so anyway, so that's how we met is through her class teaching playback. Yeah, which was amazing. So cool at that uh the JBL, the Harmon Center up there in the valley, crazy yeah. state of the art technology and innovation center. So yeah, and yeah, for real. A dude. summit of like minded nerds rarely rarely gathered together in and moss. Uh, so yeah, that was that was an amazing time. So that was cool. dope. Yeah, there was a lot of good food too. Remember she yeah. catered in a few times. I was like, I can move to LA just for the food, honestly. It's true. Well, better options than where I'm at right now. <laughs> yeah. So did you grow up in Massachusetts? Is that where you're originally from? Yeah. No, the Western Mass, Great Barrington, the Berkshires, if anybody's familiar, Berkshire County, which is beautiful. And until, before, you know, COVID times had a lot more going on, at least enough to keep keep me sustained and entertained in the days when I'm not out on the road. Like I'm lucky to, you know, be from here, but pretty much most weekends since I've been an adult, I've been out gigging, you know, like more weekends away in my yeah. entire adult life than here. Um, so, you know, when it was, things were happening here and I'd be back for the odd weekend here or there, there's enough to keep me entertained, as I said, but these days it's pretty, pretty dismal. And uh, yeah, I'm getting definitely, been ready to go and was ready to make a move right before COVID happened and then hunkered down for that, which was yeah. the best move to make yeah. overall, but uh, definitely feeling it now. So hopefully with this upcoming gig and tour and being back out there again, just make myself more available, make better connections, have a good, you know, super yeah. recent, relevant, large scale gig that I just completed. So I can be like, I just did this. And uh, yeah make myself available to utilize these skills. <laughs> yeah, dude. Well, you've got a lot of like random skills that are really valuable, which we'll definitely nerd out about. Um, anybody listening right now, definitely check out Jules uh, social links and everything I'll, I'll include in the links of mm -hmm. this podcast episode because um, so you're a playback wizard and you're mm -hmm. a badass drummer. And I love like the little drum video things you did. I was like preparing for this podcast. So I pretty much looked at your entire Instagram feed last night. <laughs> just nice. like just trolling through the videos. Cause I'm a drummer too. Yeah. I appreciate somebody who has like a good clap stack of symbols. The worst symbols I had turned into the best sound in, on the kit. Now I'll put that right. clap stack up against anybody. Give me a $300 Istanbul. They got yeah. nothing on mine. Forget uh, the about secret it. is the bottom symbol of it, which I'm hesitant to give away, but I will on this, on this pod. Anybody listening to wow. this deserves to know. Which exclusive. is it's the bottom symbol of the clap stack is actually a Tama symbol. Tama symbol. Yeah, which I found it like in the back corner of some random venue sometime, and I was like, "Is this anybody's?" And the someone there was like, "No, nah, like you can have that." Dude. And it's just very bendy. It's like the worst symbol ever, but it bend <laughs> well, and I think that's a pretty important part of those clap stacks is to get a little air between them. Oh, okay. So it's that and like two thin broken Sabians and yeah, and claps. 
anybody who's a drummer or not drummer, if you want something to just sound cool, find a crappy symbol for like $10 on Facebook Marketplace, drill some holes in it or like make a clap Bend stack. Bend it over your knee. Bend it <laughs> yeah. over your knee and just bang it out. Yeah. You can make it some works. crazy, crazy sounds with those. It slaps. It claps. It does the traps. Yep. All yeah. the things. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Right that's on, it's a crowd pleaser. Yeah. I was going to talk to you about a lot of things, but before we dive into all like the nerdy shit, like I would love to just get to know you a little bit better because we only hung out like a handful of times. Yeah. What was your music background growing up? Like, how did you get into Ableton Live? All that good stuff. Totally. Um, So my dad isn't, I wouldn't say a professional musician at this point. He's retired, but was a professional musician long before I came along and then throughout my entire childhood and young adulthood out playing different gigs. He was a violinist, um, oh, sweet. classically trained, went to the New England Conservatory of Music, studied under like Leonard Bernstein at Tanglewood when he was younger, I was friends with Leonard's son, Alex Bernstein. So that's like just crazy musical royalty to be in the midst of as a young classical musician. Um, Sick. And then ran a nightclub for most of my childhood too. I think when I turned like nine or 10, my parents rehabilitated this old nightclub that my mom's uncle used to run back in the fifties. It's like a funky little roadhouse in uh, Egremont, Massachusetts called the old Egremont club. And yeah, they fired that back up right around the millennium. And I think they ran it for, well, now that I think about it, it's probably more like 97. I think they actually opened it. So I would have been eight and uh, ran it for about seven years. That's cool. During, and they had awesome music there too, like definitely local stuff. But there's a lot of great musicians around here. Um, yeah. For numerous reasons, we have Tanglewood near here. For the same similar reasons that kept me here for a long time, which is it's very central to the rest of New England, like two and a half hours from New York, two and a half hours from Boston, right near Interstate 90, yeah. and equidistant to so many of the big cities in New England: Hartford, Burlington, Albany, Northampton, all these things. So it is great as a gigging musician who plays a lot of those towns to be from here. So there is, yeah, naturally a, has been a great music scene, or at least was <laughs> when I was growing up that my dad and a bunch of people he played with and other good local bands, but they'd get national acts in there too. Like I remember cool. the Charmaine Neville, who's like the daughter of one of the famous Neville brothers, um, her and her whole awesome band from new Orleans Nice uh, would come up as a kid. That was always a big, great time. And so yeah, raised in that club, raised going to gigs with my dad, my grandfather was a huge like jazz aficionado. He had like 50,000 jazz records when he died, which is insane. And that was before I appreciated or understood the value in like old records. And I think my uncle may have offloaded them <laughs> quickly, but uh, yeah. So just always grew up with music around and the live environment and started playing in bands in high school or jamming with my dad when I was like young, my older brother who lived there for a minute had a drum set. He's a drummer too. Had a drum set in the basement and he wasn't around me and my dad would jam. So awesome. got into that and there's always tons of gear around. My dad's really good buddy growing up. Um, his best friend was like an instrument dealer and, you know, go to flea markets and find amazing stuff and rehabilitate it. So his whole house was filled with insane gear growing up. So I was always surrounded by like incredible gear and I don't know. I mean, I, when I was really little, I wanted to like make movies. So I was into cameras and, you know, editing software and stuff pretty early. And I think all of that just lent to a natural inclination to be techie with music and art. So then when I really got into art and drumming, 
at one point I had this like crappy little Yamaha drum sampler pad. It wasn't the good pad. It was like the little kid version with like the four round things on it that would just make like eight (laughs) noises or something like that. I would run that into an old Ibanez delay pedal that my dad had. So that was like my first foray into like electronic stuff, but was also into electronic music. Um, in my brother introduced me like mouse on Mars when I was really young. And, uh, the orb. I remember hearing the orb on the, my brother's Volkswagen Quantum on a mini disc player when I was like ten, <laughs> and be like, deal. "This is incredible! I love this." So I always loved electronic music, and I think it was probably like junior year or senior, early senior year of high school. My best friend Clayton, who I played in a lot of bands with over the years, was like, "I'm gonna get this Ableton Live software," which we had peripherally heard mentioned by like Sound Tribe. And yeah, uh, Hot Chip, I think, were one of the few live acts. Like, remember the old, old Ableton videos? Those oh, were yeah. like the first ones ever. Yeah. And we had heard about it a little bit, wanted to start messing with it and just get our chops up. And we split going in on a license back then and uh, never really looked back. I was really lucky to have my buddy Ian Stewart, who's an amazing mastering engineer now. That's like what he does as his main gig, but was a producer forever kind of just taught me the ins and outs of like digital audio at, at the core when I was young. Cause I had messed with reason a little bit at my buddy's house, but never, never really got the whole, like how to sequence a whole song, but I enjoyed the patching and the, like, it's like real gear kind of thing of it, yeah. but didn't really go far with that. And then when we got uh, Ableton just got immersed in it, that was right when YouTube really was popping. Right. That would have been like 2006. Yeah. Because I graduated in 2007, so somewhere in the 2005-2006 range, which also would have been Ableton 6, I think, yeah, right? Probably. Yeah, picked that up, was able to watch tutorials, was diligent about doing the lessons in it, and then had my buddy Ian Stewart, who was really able to tell me about like EQs and learning the frequency spectrum and you know how does a compressor work, and which I'm still learning. <laughs> like I, I get it now, you know. There's always, right. but like just the basics of some of those things, signal path and routing and all that kind of stuff. I was really lucky to have him there to help kind of get the workflow going and be able to just be creative quicker. And yeah, yeah, I just started producing like tons of electronic music. That was right when EDM was also becoming EDM, like what we know it is now. It wasn't in every commercial and yeah. Dead Mouse has only had only released one EP, you know, it was just yeah. like the, the olden days. So I, I got super into it and yeah, I was producing like hundreds of tracks for shit tracks, obviously, but cutting my, my teeth on it. What I did mess up fundamentally, which taught me a lifelong Ableton lesson, which was I was saving every new song into the same project oh, for like bought, a yeah. year. So I had all these files that had like the same names or like were, you know, hard to keep track of and didn't know about collect all and save and all these things that Mm. I think any one that I hadn't exported a version of, I pretty much like lost the files of it. So there's like this Uh, whole random year of like the beginning of that whole time that is kind of lost in the ether, but I learned a ton. I think what there was a moment though where I was so focused on that that I was neglecting my drums and it really I just felt this imbalance in myself and producing and in EDM was like really blowing up by that point and it just yeah. seemed like I don't know I feel it's so it's one of those what ifs in life like if I had kept just going all in on producing electronic music like maybe that would have taken over my life and something could yeah. have you know bigger could have happened but 
it wasn't fulfilling like this musical thing I needed with drums as well. So I kind of went back and then started combining them more, you know, using yeah. triggers and kind of just being better with a click so I could play along the stuff that I had going on in there. Yeah. Then got a gig with this band called the Indo Box, who had been around for a while and let their old original drummer go, hired me. And they had a lot of like backing tracks and different samples and stuff like that. And it worked out well. And that was like really the first gig where I was out on the road, like using Ableton, like a playback rig while drumming. So I still didn't really know it. I was not nearly as good at it as I am now, obviously, as, as all things should be. But it was a great way to like use it that way instead of just producing. So. Hey, just wanted to let you guys know that this episode is sponsored by Voclia. If you don't know Voclia, they make a cool standalone app that can convert audio into MIDI using any microphone, or they also have their doubler to USB microphone. Voclia creates a microphone and a desktop app to help you make more of the music you love without having to worry about getting your ideas into the DAW. The doubler to transforms your voice into a real-time MIDI controller, allowing you to write music at the speed of thought. If you can sing it, beatbox it, hum it, whistle it, now you can play it. Doubler works with all DAWs, obviously Ableton Lab being the best, and you have the option to purchase the Doubler Studio Kit 2, which provides everything you need to vocally translate your music ideas into reality. The kit comes with Doubler 2 software, a custom USB microphone, and alternatively, you can purchase the software only if you wanted to and calibrate your own preferred microphone that you already have. They're generous enough to give us a discount code. So if you go to voclia.com, that's V-O-C-H-L-E-A.com, enter the discount code Live Producers Online. That's Live Producers Online. That'll save you 10%. And this code will expire on the 18th of October, 2022. So check it out while you still can. And yeah, I've really been having fun with this. Much love to Voclia for supporting this podcast. Check out the link in the show notes for this special offer and back to today's podcast. That's really cool. Actually, I feel like we have very similar stories because summarized version, I, I had a very similar path. Like instead of a club, like my mom was like the head of like the music department of this bigger, the biggest church in town. So like uh -huh. I had access yeah. to all the gear and I go in there like at night and just like play with stuff and mess it up for the next service and they'd get mad. <laughs> like I was just like, yeah, yeah, changing everything and moving the drums and playing and recording. And yeah. And then I got to the point of producing like yourself because we're both drummers and yeah. it was like that weird balance and dance of like, I'm producing, it's way easier to play the beats with my fingers or to program it, then how do I actually play my drums live and make it sound cohesive and like incorporate the stems to make it not sound like garbage on stage. I remember I did a talent show in college um, and uploaded the YouTube video before I realized there was YouTube monetization. It has uh, like, it like now it has like 700,000 plays. So I probably could have oh made, a, I could have made a couple grand off of it, but uh. <laughs> ignorant me in college, it was like, yep. I had no idea. I was too busy partying to learn anything about marketing. Right. So like, yeah. Well, it was but, a different world then. I think we're like the exact same age, right? Probably. I'm 34. Yeah. 30, okay. Yeah. yeah. So it was like right around when that wasn't even, there was not literature to learn that or know where it could go. So got our whole lives ahead of us. So yeah, young. Whole, whole internet to explore. But yeah, I mean, you're doing really cool stuff now. Thank well, you. let's back up. Like as far as your mad MIDI project, like when did that come in as far as like doing that kind of stuff? Maybe explain that to people. That was uh, okay. So yeah, Mad MIDI, I started in late, uh, I guess that would have been 2018 when I got 
finally upgraded my computer after way too long and could run Max for Live and a bunch of cool stuff, had a better video card. Uh, yeah, so Mad MIDI is triggering and sampling video pretty much. I go on and would find, you know, think of a cool theme or see a video online that had a cool audio and visual component to it. Yeah. Sample bits of, of both in tandem and then trigger the video and the sound with the drums in real time. And it's evolved into tr now triggering lights and manipulating the live audio through things like the X32 board in real time and OBS, controlling OBS with Ableton for just like, it was really in tandem with COVID happening. Like I had already evolved the project a decent amount by then, but once I was in the studio all the time and could just dig in and like, route things permanently or do installations in my space to make it better it turned into like a full one person production studio with like yeah. running the stream and the recording stuff like that the lighting in real time all the audio mixes and yeah triggering back video and sampling stuff like that so i've done a bunch of fun pieces some of which i can't really perform right now because i switched over to the new newer version of resolume and between resolume 5 and six, they completely changed how the MIDI mapping works. So all really? your MIDI mapping goes away from oh, five no. to six and you just have to redo it. And there's no solution to it, which is kind of absurd for how amazing Resolume is, how great their customer service is, how many answers there are, how intuitive it is. That is like a major sore subject because I, That's between wild. all the pieces I've made, thousands of mappings of little individual clips mapped to certain things and sequences that's just like, do you go back and fix old stuff or do you yeah. just keep moving forward? So I have them recorded, but yeah, it's brutal to, to kind that of is brutal, man. hundreds of hours of that. I couldn't imagine if Ableton did that. Like if they just changed like all their MIDI mapping from like 10 to 11, think about how many people would have to remap all of their projects. That would take forever. Sounds yeah. Sorry for your loss. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Yeah, rest I'm in peace. My early mad MIDI pieces. But, yeah, for real. Yeah. And now I'm at the point where my video card and my laptop is getting really tired again. Luckily, I have a new PC that has a crazy graphics card in it that I just need to transfer my Resolume over to. Just got that going recently. So I'm going to do that. And it should, theoretically, once I install or get the uh, composition and all the files on there, if I just set up like an Ethernet MIDI and OSC connection to it and match the ports, it should mm. pick right exactly up where it was before. And then my laptop can just handle... Uh, the Ableton side of it, which then I'll be rocking again. So. Yeah. And for to back up anybody who's lost, like if you don't know anything about Reslim, it's basically like a, a VJing software. It's like video. D think of it like video DJing, basically. Audio um, or video media. It does audio and video, but yeah. video media server. One of my friends told me and it like kind of opened my eyes to anybody wanting to get into Reslim. It's session view sideways. Yeah, exactly. A lot of it is the opposite. <laughs> order yeah. but yeah it works in a very similar way yeah. like only one thing in a row can play as opposed to up and down but yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, other than that midi mapping uh snafu that they did it's one of the greatest softwares just in terms of ease of use flexibility stability yeah 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 creativity the user base and support around it is great the manual is amazing mm -hmm. full osc midi and dmx mapability both ways it's like it's I love it. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I used to give them for the MIDI map stuff. <laughs> yeah. We'll give them a pass this time. Yeah, this time. There's a Ableton pack called Connection Kit. 
And there's some good tools in there for syncing live to Reslim that I've used for anybody listening that might be interested. Yeah, um, there's like fantastic. And they have a OSC touch OSC device, which I don't know, I'm sure you've probably played with. Um, yep. And then they have like an OSC send for just sending OSC into Reslim. But I digress. Anyway, yeah, so that's I think it's cool that you're doing that. One of the first things you showed me when we were at Master Track, we were all just hanging out. Uh, Trusco, Robert Trusco was yeah, there man. too. He's the man. Have you yeah. talked to him recently? Uh, maybe six months ago or so. I was talking about spots in Dallas to try to connect one of the artists I work with. With uh, okay. but I keep up, you know, checking out what he's doing online. He's always killing. Yeah, he's killing that Dallas scene. Which I will actually be down there for that show with Benny, so I will I will hit him up. You definitely should. Yeah, if I go to Dallas, I need to hit him up. He was rated uh, jazz bassist of the year last year. Which is crazy in it's Dallas wild. too. Like, yeah, not that he doesn't deserve it, but it's just such a serious player scene oh, down yeah. there. So that's like a serious thing to win. <laughs> it really oh, is awesome. Yeah, props, Trusco. But anyway, we were all, all hanging out and just like sharing stuff we were doing, and I remember you showing me a video of you playing drum triggers. I think you're using like Roland triggers, which was like synced up to video. I don't know if you're using Reslome or not, but you were like playing drums, which is triggering real time effects with like videos that you had on this on the wall. And yep. it was really dope. So once again, anybody go check out some of your videos on social media that you've posted. You probably see some of that in your feed from back in the day. Yeah, um, totally. Tons of that on Insta. Yeah. So was that Resolum? Like how maybe yeah. just like talk through how you were doing that? Cause I thought that was really cool for anybody that maybe wants to like play a drum pad or whatever and trigger any kind of video. Like what is what is your setup? Yeah, that was like? definitely with Resolum at that point. I guess the you know, the too long didn't read version of how it's set up is MIDI comes out of Ableton, so I have the triggers come in and then I can kind of direct them, like I can send the snare trigger into numerous different channels to process it in different ways. And a lot of times I'd send it through one of a few different devices, like a um, gate triggered step sequencer from Max for Live, which I was using one by a, a developer called Heaps of Bleeps, which is a really, it was cool, but it would be a little buggy. And then at one point I opened my session, which had like 200 of these devices in it with different patterns, like different chains with each song had like a different, one with a different pattern in it and it dumped all of the the patterns so once again i'd have to go back through and reprogram them so i had to get away from that one unfortunately mm -hmm. but now i use the melody trigger from tobias the ableton drummer yeah. who's the homie love that guy he's, yeah, i think he's, he's been on this right he was yeah he, he's yeah, the man he's, toby's he's the, man. the best he's he a saint ableton.drummer.com uh, for anybody yeah ableton.drummer.com definitely Gotta love that dude. He just makes such great devices. He does. He cranks out so many too. I don't know how he has time to do all these devices. I, hopefully it's paying all his bills because he, so. he, he deserves it. And yeah, I he's agree. putting in that work. Yeah. So the Melody Trigger is an amazing one. And I was lucky enough to beta test it and give him some feedback. And um, we are due for a catch up for some of the ideas that I did have for the second version of it. So I'd have to touch base with him. I'm glad Sweet. I'm thinking of that right now. Yeah. But the Melody Trigger is a similar gate triggered step sequencer. So for anybody who doesn't know what that is, that is going to take one MIDI note in or any MIDI notes. But if I'm using a drum trigger, it's just sending that one note that the trigger box sets and walks through a predetermined pattern of notes that then come out. So if you're say triggering from your hi-hat and the hi-hat sends one MIDI note in and it's the key trigger note for that step sequencer, you can set up these patterns. And what's great about the melody trigger is it has, I think, 
16 different patterns that in one version of the device, up to 64 notes per pattern, and can also be set to take like um, be in a key and a scale, or you can even drop a MIDI clip in and then like target that MIDI and it'll make whatever notes are in that the pattern notes. And you can set like the velocity of each note, um, the note length of each note. It's almost kind of like a MIDI arpeggiator is kind of what I'm thinking. Like, right. But it's at your own pace. Right. <laughs> and it can be, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, any, you know, any random pattern. So it doesn't just have to be like an up or a down or, right. or whatever. You can just make like a cool rhythmic riff in there and walk through it as you hit it. So as a drummer, it's a great, mm. we're so rhythmic. So it's really cool to come up with rhythmic riff ideas, but then have the notes of it either be predetermined. Sometimes I'll randomize it totally mm. and just see what comes out, which is super inspiring and be a great writing tool as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so pretty much the MIDI will come in from the triggers. Each individual drum has its own melody trigger, but as I said, I can reroute them, so I can send all my triggers just through one of them or change which one goes into another. And then each one of those can then be determined which out channel to Resolume it goes, and then it goes over via IAC on this computer, but when I get on my PC, we'll go out over a network Ethernet se uh, session into the PC. And then I'm just mapping two random clips in there and usually would have, I guess, that different deck in Resolume for each new song, because then each deck can be remapped to the same, Okay. you know, use a note that you used in the previous deck on a new clip. Yeah. So just, you know, the Mad MIDI session has evolved into just like very scalable, trackable ways of like managing all that you know which yeah. which pipe is the midi coming in which one's it going out of which sequence out of this melody trigger 16 am i using for this and um yeah and then, and then you know, all those all those midi like values coming in from ableton to resolume you could just like find random effects and layers and like have them do different things on top of the same video clip or change video clips or whatever totally yeah. and yeah, I mean, you, you CCs to map to effect parameters or mm. toggles to turn an effect on a certain layer or on a certain clip, on or off, and then notes pretty much to trigger the video clips. Um, yeah, that's dope. But then I started getting into OSC way more, and Resolume, unlike Ableton, at least natively, has full OSC in and out. Yeah. And for anybody who doesn't really know OSC, OSC is like, infinite midi in a way right yeah. like a midi you're limited to i like say limited but it's like right. 2500 you know things or something but 16 channels 127 notes and 127 cc's per channel which right. there is a limit to sure. um whereas with osc everything in osc has its own unique address so just it's always one-to-one -one and it can just be infinite pretty much yeah. there's no overlapping and it's yeah. way more high um resolution the resolution yeah, high is resolution much exactly higher. yeah yeah so you can just with resolume some of the parameters go between zero and a thousand instead of zero and 127 yeah. so if you're sending a cc over from ableton to it it's gonna for you know jump right and get blocky as you go through you know a camera pan or a zoom or something like that whereas if you're using straight osc it's just super smooth and buttery yeah. we'll love that butter
yeah, so um, OSC has become just a huge part of my workflow with the X32 board, with Resolume, with Touch OSC on the iPad, yeah. CliffX and Ableton. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're big into OSC or uh, Touch OSC, the program. Yeah. You use, use an iPad. I've been using that forever. Yeah. What are you mostly using Touch OSC on your iPad for these days? Uh, at this point, I mean, for the Mad MIDI session, so, so much. Um, Cause I'm, I'm, I, I know what it is, but I haven't actually like hands-on played with it much, but I know that in the world of playback or people who want to be able to do any kind of virtual routing or mappings, like it's a game changer for a lot of people. Yeah. 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 It's, it's just much more flexible. Right. So for somebody who's like newer to, to- touch OSC, like what would you say are some of the big advantages? Right. Well, for touch OSC? let's just make a distinction for people too. touch OSC is an iPad app that allows you to make your own custom templates, make your own buttons, resize them, labels, faders, all that. And that's pretty much infinitely scalable. And it can send either OSC or MIDI. So for years I was using it just to like, I'd make a button and give it a MIDI value before A, I had a way of getting OSC information into Ableton and B, before I had software like Resolume or things like the X32 which natively receive OSC. So I was a little blind to the full potential until I started really digging in and had a context to use it in. OSC itself is a protocol, open sound control. So it is, as I said, higher resolution, zero uh, zero to one, but with every decimal point in between instead of zero to 127. And then there's a bunch of different types of values. There's float values like that. So if you have a knob, that's floating the decimal amount. That's how much, you know, if a fader is all the way up, it's going to be sending one. If it's all the way down, it's zero. There's also string addresses, which is just like the name of the parameter. For example, on an X32, mute button would, you know, could be a string value saying like CH channel slash 01 slash mute slash on. Or you could send it a float value and it would be boom, boom, slash, not on, but zero if it was on or one. So there's different ways of creating the same message that way, but everything is unique, right? So you're never mm-hmm. dealing with overlapping MIDI in or out channels and yeah. Ableton mappings that are weird. So Touch OSC is amazing because for every new element that you add, you can give a MIDI message, an OSC message, multiple OSC messages or MIDI messages which can be really handy. They can come yeah. out of different ports virtually. So you can have your X32 listening to one OSC port and receiving a message that only goes out of that one from this button. And then Resolume can be receiving a different message from the same button on a different port. Yeah. And yeah, it's all and it's wireless over like too. network, right? So, so it yeah. works more over IP between IP addresses and then UDP ports per you know, device. So like my computer shows up as one IP on my, you know, home network, but then different softwares have different UDP port ins and outs. Um, So you're able, you know, to just totally customize. And that's why the template and being working on the iPad is amazing because as my mad MIDI set has grown, I can just make a new page and touch OSC and make new buttons and name them whatever I want and give them unique addresses, send them to whichever port I need to send them to and just infinitely scalable and everything's labelable. So it's just very easy to just say this button is this and not have to remember or look at 40 little APC 40 buttons and be like, wait, which one's which? 
So and low latency too. That's nice. Oh yeah, yeah. It's all over network and, and very light and the size of the messages is negligible. So you can be sending like hundreds or even thousands in one dump of data from your controller to your receiving thing and it can pretty much parse it all and yeah and deal with it really well so yeah i mean i pretty much do anything and everything with my touch osc template that i might need to do i have pages here i'll grab it and for anybody who is watching yeah for all the people out there who want to see some video little, little touch osc content of me holding go. up my <laughs> my yeah. template so this is what an ipad looks like you know <laughs> Yeah, so that's Lovely. like one page of my template that that actually controls the melody triggers right there. And it's there's beautiful. two of them. These are the ones that sit between the triggers and the uh, I have a Moog Sub 37 over there and yeah, a yeah, Arturia yeah. Micro Freak. So I can go right in there and be like, which you know drum, kick, snare, hi hat one, hi hat two, or the different the little mesh pad or the bar trigger, the MIDI fighter or channel twenty two, which I can just okay. kind of my default like aux. Anything okay. that goes into 22, I can always pick up there. Um, and I can yeah, apply scale, randomize the notes in it, go back to the first um, note of a sequence, and then have like, how many steps do I want it to do? All the different uh, scales. I can choose the scale in there. If you, anybody watching see that, it's all the different scales Ableton offers. And then the key, and what you'll see these little red numbers in here, and those will respond and feed back from Ableton using cliffx and the cliffx binding so i can see what key i'm i'm changing it to match the two and do all that so what's great about and that's just one page of this i have a page for the x32 which has a ton of pages within it right so if i go over to the x32 tab all these other ones show up and it's like yeah. how much do my drums go into the different uh drum mix or into a different effects bus yeah on the board and uh, yeah just anytime so i have any a possibilities feature functionality i can just get right in there and add it yeah it'd be cool if they added some kind of i don't know app or something so it wasn't just strictly for an ipad it'd be cool like it can run on desktop now oh it does really yep the latest version that. can run on desktop and send in and out from itself as a standalone uh, software which is awesome dude. and it's great for live editing because if you can you can create be editing on the computer make the computer a server and then the ipad is showing the same one you're working on so as you're moving things around it's like updating on the ipad in real time which for editing and designing is great yeah but like another totally different example of how this can be and i'm starting to use it is like virtual production with uh, unreal engine stuff like that yeah unreal engine can accept osc so say you're on an unreal engine or a uh, virtual production shoot, you could have your DP or your lighting person who wants to augment the Unreal virtual set can be running an iPad. And then I, I'd be like in the truck where the computers and all the stuff are with the main Unreal Engine engineer. And they're like, oh, I want to give the lighting guy, girl, whoever, a control over this parameter. I can just add a new, you know, a new thing in the Touch OSC template, give it the address that then the Unreal Engine engineer is going to map it to, and it will just show up on the DP's yeah. iPad as a new thing that they, you know, this light in this yeah. part of the virtual set. So it's just very real time, flexible. It's great for many workflows. That's yeah, totally different yeah, it, way of using it. it right it's there. pretty wild to see like the evolution of 
like what a playback engineer used to be and like an artist like they should make like one of the you ever see those like evolution things of like it was like right the monkey like getting taller became, yeah exactly they should make Into, one for like a the playback rig that's 3500 pounds down to like the eye connect down to just the ipad he just has like <laughs> surrounded by like computers and ipads and that's pretty much what it's become now it's like the playback engineer wears tons of hats rather than just being didn't they used to call playback engineers space bars because they when they were just using before Probably. Ableton was like the standard. I think Laura said that because like yeah. your job was literally just hitting spacebar to hit play, basically on stage, like on Not the side no using Pro Tools. Yeah, Come a long way. Anything and everything. It's the heartbeat of the whole show, really. You know, it really it's is. Like, yeah, especially for bigger productions too. Well, in even like smaller shows that you've played, you've you've done some really interesting gigs. Um, I saw recently you played with. Honeycomb at Electric Forest, which is one of my favorite music festivals. Amazing festival. Amazing. Yeah. How was that? It really reinvigorated my love of festivals as someone who's been to quite a few of them um, back in the day as a young hippie and as a musician as well, and then put, put on one for years, which, you know, was amazing, but also gave me some PTSD and made me just grumpy and grouchy when festivals suck and are <sighs> rainy yeah. or inhospitable. Mm-hmm. Electric Forest really rein, reinstilled my love and faith of festivals. Like just between the amazing site and how it's laid out, and the incredible art and yeah. the stage designs were ridiculously cool, and the hospitality was great, and it didn't rain at all. Huge That's nice. plus. Such a plus. Yeah, and just everyone was really nice and, and cool, and it was just it was so good. It was so good, and yeah, Honeycomb. That's the homie. Been friends with him since before he was even really performing professionally or doing anything like that. He's from Massachusetts as well and used to mm-hmm. come to our shows and our festies and we became friends being on the scene together. And over the last few years of COVID and all that really reconnected and helped him kind of get his streaming rig going and then helped him develop an X32 based setup for his live looping and yeah. his whole setup. And now I just completed a new Ableton based looper for him uh, with a type custom touch OSC template and some crazy cliff X stuff, which we'll, we'll get into in a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's the homie. I mean, he's just a, an amazing dude and a great, yeah, he is. super, you know, cool. genuine, awesome person and super talented musician and yeah. getting his, his dues these days. It was so cool. He had T-Pain like raided his Twitch stream. I saw that. <laughs> he was just blown away and was like, I could have this guy open for me anywhere. And we were like, all right, T-Pain, like put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> yeah, and six months go. later, Connie comes like on the bus going on a sold out cross country tour opening for him. So we we're like, so cool. T-Pain is the man. Yeah, he really um, is. He really is. Yeah. That's, a, so, that's amazing. Yeah, it's great. I, I, uh, he was playing a show at Meow Wolf, which is like one of my favorite small venues here in Denver. Yeah. And um, he was telling me, I was talking to him about like his looping rig and nerding out a little bit. It was also super loud. So we could like, we're like shouting at each other in the back <laughs> of the venue. Love that. But yeah, like spitting on each other, trying to communicate. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but he's a super cool guy. And yeah, he was telling me, he's like, yeah, he's like, one of my homies is going to be building an Ableton rig using CliffX. I was like, oh, no way. I didn't even know it was you. Yeah. We were like talking <laughs> about it. I was like, cool. He's interesting. Um, for anybody who doesn't know Honeycomb, uh, he, he has a really interesting live setup with doing a lot of looping with a lot of analog and yep. uh, a lot of analog pedals and routing. And I'm not sure what was the loop pedal he was using now. He uses the 505, like yeah, the okay. you know, classic standard. Mark Rebier yeah. beatboxer grade. Uh, Which is cool. It's actually, device. 
it's a cool looping analog pedal. I mean, if you it's want a to great platform. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's not that it's bad overall. And that's why he's trying to get away from it. But there's some mm. stuff about the new setup with Ableton that is just infinitely going to be better in terms More of flexible, you know, in unlimited loops and yeah. individual sequenceability for each new layer yeah. and recording every single new clip that gets that comes in and gets looped is a is an audio clip that he can keep track of and, and exists on its own mm -hmm. um i don't see a lot of artists out there with their main instrument is like their their voice without actually singing like because he right. he'll just like loop himself he does a lot of like interesting like bass synth uh, like modulated sounds with his voice and he'll just loop that. And it's pretty wild. Like he's, yeah. he's really talented. He's, yeah. He's, he's, he's fantastic and people love it and just gets crazy cool sounds that you just haven't seen before or definitely not in that way. Yeah. Like using the talk box for beatboxing with like yeah. a crazy bass in, in it and all that will still be part of his rig, obviously. Um, yeah. But yeah, some of the some of the functionality with uh, with Ableton, you know, you can have presets on all synths, getting program changes, and then like one button in Touch OSC that can be, you know, the garage music sound bank. That one button press will send a program change to a specific group of sounds in different synths, and easily just to maximize creative flow and minimize menu jumping or button pushing or anything like that. Just quickly be able to like switch all that up have new you know new sounds a new looping template ready to go yeah tons of more effects capabilities at different stages of the thing like that was one of the things i built in for him is for every instrument that comes in you can put you know one i right now made 20 effect slots in the touch osc template that will get live names and values back from ableton using cliffx and osc output that he can apply to any of the incoming instruments. So he can go in there, say, okay, I want to put these four effects on this one instrument and then take a loop of it. So he'll be recording the raw audio coming in, but we won't be hearing that. And then he'll loop it with the effect on. So that'll be baked into the loop mm. if he makes it that way. But you can also take a clean loop and then put the effects on that group that the loop is in or have the overall wet and dry master so there's two, you know, two masters, one with no effects, one with that he can send any group into. So he can apply effects at any stage now, depending on how he wants to maintain the original recording or bundle together effects processing, which yeah. is really cool. So, yeah, just more flexibility that way. Sure. Um, so my, here's another question, which I'm sure somebody is thinking right now. Why not just use Ableton's looper instead of CliffX for a lot of the looping capabilities? The main reason that I can say for that is that each individual stem is not recorded and preserved that way, right? Like in the looper, there is the drag me function, but if you make six layers on that loop and drag it over, which also requires a physical mouse movement, yeah. you're only getting the six baked in as one. Whereas yeah. the way he can do it now, um, if every single layer that's a new layer of, you know, is, is its own audio clip, say he has, you know, performed and made a, done a bunch of shows with it and has a ton of different scenes populated with cool little loops that are all in time and on the grid. He could at some point just show up with pretty much a laptop and like an APC 
and mm-hmm. do a remix set of all his stuff because yeah. on every single layer and every single loop he can also still take in or out everything so if he makes you know kick drum boom loops that makes one that's the hi-hats this you know snare boom 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 he mm-hmm. can sub sequence each loop of that within cool. a greater group because i'm kind of if anybody's familiar with the 505 there's five pads mm. which i have emulated as groups in ableton and then you can keep layering layers onto those each one of those but you can only go back and undo one and you know at the end of the day it's all baked into one thing yeah. at, the, at the end of it same with the looper so with this yeah it's all saved everything is its own clip at the end of the day He's going to catch everything dry coming in at the very front end, no matter what. Mm. Um, And yeah, just some like another thing about the looper, I guess whoever developed it for Ableton left when it was like halfway done being implemented into the API. So there's like a bunch of the parameters of the looper are seen by the Ableton API, but there's a bunch that are not. So it doesn't give output feedback and it's not mappable and it's just kind of inflexible in that way, you know? Oh, so wow. So yeah, it's, it's like a weird part of the Ableton lore there. It's like so, some, you, so they'd pretty much have to go in and redo the entire looper if they wanted to fix it. But it's only for the hyper nerds who are like, I need to get into the API path of like parameter <laughs> seven to get like feedback right. coming off of it, which is a rare instance. So yeah. I understand why they haven't done that. But yeah. I've done two different projects for one for Laura and another one for um, a friend and artist uh, named Perry Hall, who's an amazing artist. He's a, like does bass looping, but he also does visual art. He's worked with Sigur Ross and a, a bunch oh, of cool people. Cool. cool. Worked on that movie Lucy. Oh, dope. Johansson. Yeah, um, that was a great movie. But he was using Echoplexes. He was using four hardware Echoplexes for years as a looper and really wanted to recreate the uh, functionality, that kind of logic that those had. So that was a project using the stock Ableton looper because he didn't need to preserve the audio. That's really the main reason why I did mm. Honeycombs the way we did it so that every single new yeah. thing saved its own little micro clip. And he can is, go and yeah. recall it without it being baked into a bunch of layers in the same looper. Exactly. Yeah. Like if I'm sure if the Ableton or the looper developer who made it, you know, worked for Ableton or whatever, the programmer had stuck around, things like drag me would have been you know, a button yeah. commit to new clip on this track or something like that, just so then it could be automated or or mapped. Whereas the drag me function, as I said, requires that mouse yeah. move. So see, that'd be cool. Just, that'd be nice if that was just like an easily mappable thing. Because yeah. I think that'd be a game changer for so many people. Absolutely, really and it's a would. sore subject among like some of the CliffX community who, yeah, uh, like numerous people. If you go back on the forums and stuff, have arrived at the realization like, wait, why don't these parameters have you know, an API path or whatever. And then you find like a response from the Ableton person like, well, uh, yeah, those never got mapped and it's never going to happen. So mm, sorry, yeah, but yeah. I learned that before starting this project, luckily, and was That's able to kind of tackle it in a different way, which yeah. goes into the CliffX discussion more when, whenever we get to that point. There's some cool, really cool shit I learned with that. I'm, I'm surprised somebody hasn't tried to like completely reinvent the looper with a Max for Live device, or maybe I'm just unaware, like something that, kind of meets a lot of these needs and checks all the boxes. I think there are some, there's also like, uh, what's the name of it? There's, 
there was a looper device that I, I can't even remember the name of right now, but it was like the looper two or super looper there's loopy or pro. And then there's another, which is, it's kind of own app, but I think could be controlled by Ableton, which I'd looked at a little bit. Honeycomb sent me over that. Like how's, you know, does this have, have any good ideas or things? And it is very dope and almost went down that path, but it's just heavier on the computer. It's its own yeah. app. Yeah. There are some limitations, like once again, just doesn't record everything as its own recallable clip, as not being our main priority, kind of was yeah. a deal breaker for any other way than the way we went. Um, sure. But there's another, it's like Morb Mobius Loop or some, some yeah. other device that I think is built in Max that is pretty capable. Um, but I, I, at this point, try to avoid backs for live is if i if i can at all which is a huge part of why i live and really? die by cliffx at this point because max for live is awesome but can be buggy it's burned me in the past with like things like that one device that step sequencer just losing all of its sequences because of some pattern I, I, I don't know i was like at a point update in live i think just like blew those out at one point hmm. and it's just super heavy because when you use max for live Max is running in the background and all that processing needs to go out and into that and back in. So it probably also depends on how the device was coded too. some are definitely like more intense than others. For sure. And more yeah. stable, better programmers. I mean, it's yeah. cool that it's open source and someone who doesn't get every fundamental of computer programming like me like saying I don't get it um, can yeah. make a device that works, but maybe way more bloated than it needs to, to get the same thing done sometimes. Right. So yeah. Facts. Yeah. Just trying to avoid that and make it as Ableton centric as possible. Yeah. Uh, was the goal there, but nothing, nothing worse than like seeing that CPU meter fluttering up in like the high yellow 50% or more. For it's real. A, on stage, that's enough to make anybody scared and crap yeah. their pants. Yeah, it can get very unpredictable at that point. And then For it sure. seems to get exponential. Like you start getting into those high, you know, high CPU usage, your temperature starts spiking, and then everything is working harder to do what it was before. And it just becomes like an out of control thing that can, yeah, shut your show down, depending on how yeah. much your stuff you're trying to do. Keep in mind, we're going to be, he's going to be recording everything as well as that happens. A lot of audio getting recorded. Oh, wow. He's recording time. the whole, he wants to record his entire set then too. All the input channels, right? So his, his rig will be instruments coming into an X32 or an Xair, depending on which one he's bringing out to the show uh, that are coming into channels in Ableton, which aren't being heard, but are recording. And then there's like a pre-fader send into the different groups. So you're always hearing what's happening in real time, but that first this is the raw sound coming in spot yeah. is going to be always running. And so you just have like cliff X telling the monitoring to be off until the, I don't even, that's not even a cliff X. That's just yeah, monitor off sends okay. only. And then the loop groups listen to the main group pre fader. So if the uh, fader is okay. muted or you're not hearing it come out of the, the fader, you're still seeing it show up on those channels. And then those are set to off. So it's like cool. their inputs are set to in, but they're set to sends only. Or no, they're set to go to the group, and then the group is sends only, but not going to any sends. And then each loop group listens to the input group pre-fader, so that yeah. any sound that comes in then does show up in those. So we're recording clean, never getting anything doubled, 
and it's set to in on the loop. So as soon, or set to off on the loop. So as soon as something's looping, then you're hearing that audio play through the channel. Okay. It's all with the X32. So the real time right. stuff can go right to front of house before it goes into Ableton or alongside that. And there's some, yeah, just intelligent logic kind of set up there to never make anything doubled, but hear it at whatever stage he wants to hear it. If he wants to apply sure. Ableton effects to something he's playing with before he loops it, he can do that. If he wants to just hear it in his ears as he dials it in or makes a loop and then you don't hear it till it's looping, he can do that. And that's more cool. adjusting in auto or off on the loop group settings. Cool. cool. Yeah, that sounds... How long did it take you to build this template or this rig for him? Uh... <laughs> just like a couple hours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a lot of thinking. A lot of just thinking yeah, through I'm stuff sure. for a minute of like, how, yeah, how is it going to come in that it's not going to double, it's not going to be redundant, like yeah. audio-wise, you know, things doubling up on top of each other. How are we going to organize these groups and the monitoring and the routing in a way that's going to be flexible, catch the recordings at each stage that we want, and, and then actually building it out and then getting into the making the touch OSC template and writing all this custom kind of cliffx stuff for it. I mean, realistically, yeah, probably you know, 40 to 50 hours. Like, Yeah, I believe like that. that. Yeah. Definitely believe that. Yeah, I know just enough about cliffx not to sound dumb. Um, but I haven't spent a ton of time with it. Are you using Live 11 or 10 with CliffX? Uh, both, but I mostly work in 10 just because okay. if I program in 10, it can be opened in 10 or 11. But if right. I start in 11, and because, you know, Honeycomb's still on 10. He's not using Ableton 11. Cool. My Mad MIDI, I still keep in 10. Yeah. Uh, new client I just started working with yesterday uh, was like, we can go, e I could go either way. I produce an 11 or do this. I was like, well, let's just go with 10 because then yeah. like if something happens and you need to yeah. use someone else's computer and they only have 10, you can open it in there. But if you have 11, you can obviously open in that too. So, yeah. and the CliffX does have a working that should be released by now 11 version, yeah. but I guess they're waiting on Stray, the developer to just do a final sign off or check. But that's why I was asking. Cause there was like an unofficial release on like GitHub. That was Which was, yeah, not by a, Stray, but, and then Stray yeah. just showed up and was like, here it is, everybody, and, like, <laughs> test it for me. But that's been over a year now, and it's, like, yeah. kind of crazy that they're not... It's not official. Yeah. It's not official yet. Yeah, it's yeah. a little little debilitating for certain projects or certain people who are so into 11 that... Right, and there's so many commands, it. and, like, I feel like just one little update to 11 could break a command or something. Like, that would be... Yep. Exactly, That'd be quite the job kind of happening. as a programmer to have to keep updating for all the future versions on such a robust thing like CliffX. Well, there's a big change over from Ableton yeah. 10 to 11 with Python to Python 2. So it really did need to be like rewritten from, you know, the ground up or I don't know. I don't honestly know how much of like a back super back end change that required, but Stray did it at some, at some point and it does yeah. work. I, I haven't personally run into any problems or missing functionality when on 11 be like I'd, reinventing the english language every like two or three years <laughs> everybody has to, a lot to keep up with <laughs> yeah. yeah but it's absolutely worth it and yeah i mean for anybody who doesn't know what what cliffx is cliffx is pretty much a scripting language that talks directly to the back end of ableton the api or the live object model so it can do stuff that Max for Live can do, but without any Max being needed. 
So, you know, not to get ridiculously super nerdy, but the API slash the live object model, they kind of refer to the same thing, but the way parameters and, and objects are identified have a slightly different nomenclature to both. But for every single element of Ableton, except for a few parameters of the looper, there's an API path that you can directly target the state or the value of like any parameter, you know, it's going to be this track by its track number or track name. And then the, this device by device name or device number. And then this parameter of that device, you can get down and specify down to that last, you know, each little bit. So CliffX gets in and talks to all those individual parameters and has, you know, if then statements and, um, can read values of things. So you can really get super deep in terms of like, if you read the live object model, every, you know, does this selected clip have a clip or a clip slot have a clip in it? If yes, create this value. And then you can use that value. Yeah. If that value equals this, then do this to this track. So it's just like, yeah. Yeah, it really yeah. taught me how like Python and a lot of programming works in a big oh, way. Sure. Yeah. And it's you actually know? like once I started getting into it, I was I was realizing how simple it really is. Cause all you have to do is just rename a clip in session view to like change the functionality of what you want it to do. Yep. Uh, that's for like that, one of the for that track or other ways to get to it. Yeah. yeah it's, or it's, you could just you know, even in arrangement view, just name a locator um yep. to just have like different functionalities too. So which can do so, so many things. So you can yeah. have, when you play this clip, it mutes this other channel. Or when you know when you play the clip, it can toggle back and forth between that. Or when the clip plays, it does one thing, and then there's a little like you know naming scheme that then can make it do a different thing when the clip stops. But the clip stuff is just the surface, bro. The OSC shit, is and the binding stuff is like ninja level and then what i've just started finally understanding enough to write them and work with them is the user actions which is like straight god mode and that's what we did with with uh honeycomb's thing so like yeah one of the greatest things about cliffx in my opinion is the osc so ableton does not natively take osc but python can and therefore, CliffX, the CliffX script itself can be set to receive input OSC commands via a certain port, which then can trigger CliffX actions. And this is like, honestly, one of my favorite parts of the whole thing is I can, for any new thing that I want to add to my session, create a new button on my iPad, give it a totally custom OSC name, like turn on clip five on track seven like i could name it that not that i probably would name it that but i could That'd be a great name and i can go into my cliffx script and say hey cliffx when you see that you know turn on clip five on track seven come in trigger this cliffx action and then it's just unlimited because there's no, you're not limited to midi the midi channels or notes or cc's you can name it whatever you want and it's just infinite possibilities of mapping that don't use midi mapping and then transfer over session to session, right? Because isn't that a big bummer with Ableton is that MIDI mapping does not, if you save a group or a track in your user library that has mappings on it, 
it doesn't ask if you want to save the mappings or anything. And when you bring it into a new session, you have to go and remap stuff with this. The OSC stuff will work no matter what. And as long as you're diligent about naming clips or uh, tracks and devices, it'll work in any session with a track name that or a device name that or anything like that. So it just for scalability, I can now make tracks, save into my user library, make OSC commands, and then bring them into any session, and it always works. And that yeah. is just game changing, in my it opinion. Is. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had somebody on the podcast a while ago talking about MIDI 2.0, and that was like kind of sparking a lot of different ideas in my head. Is like, I wonder if a lot of the OSC and some of these other languages will be replaced in a sense when 2.0 becomes more mainstream because it does have a much higher resolution there's so it's many pretty similar to osc yeah the yeah. mini 2.0 spec is definitely like gonna open up almost as much type of control i think it's what like a thousand channels now yeah, instead of 16 so it's a lot yeah that's pretty much limitless like who's gonna keep track of more than yeah you know two hundred thousand or whatever to, 256,000 different things, yeah. right? If you have like 627 times two times a thousand. Yeah. So um, I'll be curious to see what that looks like. Yeah, me too. And, 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 and how it's, how it's implemented. And hopefully I would love to see OSC just natively implemented into Ableton at some point would yeah. go super, super far be because cool. you can also be spitting values back out, yeah. which, you know, you can do with remote mapping, Yep. You know, if you have remote in and out selected for a control surface or a MIDI controller in Ableton and map it to a toggle button, if you toggle it off in Ableton, the light on the controller will turn on or off and they'll always be in check with each other. But with OSC, you can spit names out to labels like I, you know, have with the melody trigger thing. So that's using the bindings component. So if anybody, you know, has used a push or an APC, those instead of being hard mapped to this parameter of this device on this track, like the blue mapping does, it uses the API to say, this knob always controls parameter one of the currently selected device, right? So as you select new devices, those knobs will always control what you're focused on. So <clears throat> CliffX can create that same kind of functionality, but you can rebind to different parameters or different things in real time based on outcomes of other stuff and you can be spitting out values and names and stuff like that back to the label on an ipad so it'll tell you what the bpm is it'll tell you what the name of the current track or scene is or the value of a parameter different things like that so that's amazing for performing live to just put notes on there when you need to see them and only see what you need in real time and yeah. that ability with CliffX to do that two-way communication, how um, natively and intuitively it works once you kind of get how to program in CliffX, you can just yeah make any value shoot back out to an iPad label with OSC. So, yeah. And the nice thing huge. is it's not really taxing the computer at all because it's just a part of its own native scripting language, really. So, so light it's like yeah. a little string of text you know right. it just shoots out onto the onto the ipad which yeah is is fantastic Beautiful. so i'd love to see osc and midi 2.0 eventually in you know natively implemented into ableton 
and yeah, curious to see how MIDI 2.0 gets, you know, accepted into the larger sphere of stuff. But I think there's a lot of people who are waiting on that, that maybe don't know about OSC. Yeah. And depending on what they're trying to control. Yeah. Maybe, maybe what they're using doesn't accept OSC or something like that. But if it does, like that sure. level of control is already here. Yeah. It's a whole new world, man. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. I just got, I got an email this morning about like the new live 11, uh, point two that's coming out. So yep. Yep. 11.2 is coming very soon, which is exciting. They're redoing the reverb device. I don't know if you saw that. The new one or the original one? The original. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're as redoing... long as large space chorus still exists as it is. <laughs> I love that preset on the original version. Yeah, yeah. It. I saw like a preview of the interface of what it's going to look like, and it looks really dope. Um, they're like, I, I guess they're going to change the way it sounds a little bit too, redesigning some of the sound of it. Um, as long as it can do what it did before and cool new stuff, I'll be stoked. If we lose tried and true you know sonic oh, i'm sure it'll be much better i know it's more detailed like there's definitely more options with the new oh, the reverb. hybrid reverb is amazing the yeah. hybrid reverb is all i really need to be honest yeah. with you it's although i think the it's supposed to have like actually a lot of the devices not a lot of devices but there are a handful of devices that they have changed to be lower latency i know that's like a big part of point yeah. two is they worked on some of the latency aspect for a lot of the devices Cool. Which is great. great. Yeah, yeah, if we yeah. can lower latency is always a good day. Right. Being able to put stuff through through it in real time and get those effects like Yeah. Ecom is going to do. Luckily, his you know, the new M1's running at a 128 buffer super fast. Like I don't oh, yeah. you know, it's pretty usable, but I love my M1. What's that? I love my M1. Yeah. I don't I don't personally have one yet, but yeah, you've you've had a good experience with yours. It's going quick. It's been good. Yeah. I mean, there's certain like plugins and some desktop apps that are janky just because the companies have been lazy or they haven't been able to update for whatever reason. So that's always a bummer, but everything else has been great. I haven't had really too many issues, especially with the update to live 11.1 because they did a lot with the whole like Intel Rosetta, Rosetta struggles with like some of the projects and stuff. So after with 11.2, it's been smooth. Oh, I just saw this. I just pulled this up. The, uh, the new improvements on the reverb device for 11.2. So they have like a new setting. Um, they have like a switchable filter type uh, okay. for like their diffusion network. So you can choose between one pole low pass filter or a low shelf. They improved the CPU performance, lower latency. They have a smooth new drop down menu for the reverb. So you can specify how mm -hmm. the size parameter, so like how big the room sounds of the reverb. Oh, cool. how, how it responds when it's changed using different options, smooth, none, slow, or fast, whatever that means. I don't know. I mean, reverb can really make or break a sound. It can take a sound that's not exciting or interesting and just yeah. make, make it amazing and lush or place it in space. So the yeah. more reverb tools, and especially native with Ableton, the better. Because as anybody knows who's gotten deep with Ableton, if you can get away with a native Ableton device doing something, it's always the best way to go because it's just so much lighter on the computer, yep. so much faster, yep. will work in any session that you open anywhere, whether or not they have that plugin. So it's always great to stick with that. But there are times where the old reverb just wasn't hitting. You know, I was working with some client trying to match, I think, like an R verb preset with the stock Ableton one. And it's just like, 
was close, but just never as yeah. creamy and never quite as awesome. So I was no, like, ah, wasn't. shit, okay, I guess we got to stick with the waves, but... Yep. Yeah, that's, that's always good. If Definitely. Yeah, hybrid reverb was a game changer. Or using the convolution reverb for a long time was like my go-to. Because then it's your own signature sound in a way, right? Like if you can get your own impulses in there and stuff like that. Like, you could record a fart and make it sound beautiful as an impulse response. Mate, that's where most of my sound design starts, I think. <laughs> Actually, one of my good friends, Ben, he went into the Ableton whatever file and he ended up replacing the uh, stock default metronome sound in live to his own fart. <laughs> he just, he it's just like the record. mono neon pedal. He's got like a farting bass pedal that he's been using on shows. He's just like saw Clifford like playing with a bunch of killing cats and he's just yeah. like stops playing bass and he's just like, like making <laughs> fart noises with everyone else is like crushing it and still straight face and he's just like wet fart sounds coming through the PA. I was like, I don't Damn. think he ever changed it either. I think it's probably still that way if Live 11 lets him. Because like <laughs> it was that way for years. He would just be, he'd be tracking my drums too and I, all I would hear in my ears just this Damn it, Ben. Yeah. Shout out to Ben and his metronome farts. <laughs> Putting that deep Ableton knowledge to use. Yeah, innovation at its finest. It's hilarious. So as far as upcoming projects, you mentioned you're going on this tour. I saw that uh, some of the stops were like Mexico. So you're yeah, going out of country. That's going to yeah. be dope. That sounds fun, man. I can't so, wait. Yeah, Austin City Limits. Uh, cool. Both weekends, Mexico City, Dallas, Houston. Barbecue belt. We're hitting the barbecue belt. That's a, um, yeah, you have some good eating on the way, on the road. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to need to bring my barbecue belt with a couple extra holes in it. In <laughs> yeah, direction. Right. Oh, I'm sure you'll burn it off carrying all of the gear that you're bringing as a drummer and playback. I'm not drumming on this one, which I, I wish I was. Okay. Yeah, I'm just, just behind the scenes on it, which okay. is a little, you know. That's nice. A little though. hard to, 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 to stomach in a way, but that's just like my attention uh, whore tendencies. Want to, you know. <laughs> one less thing you have to think about or carry really that is true and i mean i love doing the behind the scenes stuff i I, you know love producing stuff and just dealing with that and helping other people bring their show to life so if i wasn't cool with that and i needed the attention or needed to be on stage i wouldn't take these types of gigs but yeah um obviously i would love and am shooting for a playback e good gig where i am also drumming um yeah if anybody needs needs one let me know yeah, but, uh, no, this would be the guy. Anybody listening? Yeah. I mean, you're a great drummer. You really Thank are. You. Thank From you so one much. drummer to another, you got some chops. Likewise, bro. Thank you. Thank, I appreciate thanks, that. Dude. Thank you. Um, so that you know, that'll come. That will that will come for sure. And I already have some that I'm doing. So I'm not like I haven't done any gigs like that. But yeah. this one is of another caliber. Working sure. for quite a large, you know, established artist and yeah. going to some cool new spots I haven't been and running a redundant. Um, pretty involved rig that's going to be doing like midi stuff to different instruments on stage oh, wow. uh auto tune redundant playback all that stuff in one so yeah a lot to manage and i'm it's going to keep me on my toes but i'm really looking forward to cool. you know leveling up that way and yeah there was a moment where i was like overwhelmed or stressed for a second just like oh i gotta learn this whole rig and it's gonna be intense and i'm just like i know all this stuff works like yes yeah. obviously I'm, it doesn't mean i can rest on my laurels or like react relax but there's just an inherent calm and like excitement for it that sure. totally took over for any like stress or overthinking what i had to learn and just being like it's like i know how all the components work yeah i'm gonna get there for these rehearsals and see what it is and yeah 
you know, which I've already heard. It's like, yeah, I'm just, it's, it's good. It's a good feeling to be like, oh, I've kind of arrived at this sure, point. Yeah. Like, oh, totally, man. I think that's true for like anything, like the more experience you have with something, it builds more confidence and then it becomes more fun because yeah. you're not thinking or stressing as hard about like the technical details of, okay, how do I actually accomplish this? How do I make this a reality? Because you've already done it before. And then it's just like going through the motions and then you get to enjoy the process a little bit more. I think it's true for like producing or playback or any technical, anything. Yep. Yeah. Knowing how to troubleshoot. Yeah. Knowing how the routing is going to work and all that stuff inherently. And I'll get there and just take pictures of each station that I have to manage, whether it's the drums MIDI setup or the keyboards, or if there's a Kemper or something like that, like, is it plugged in and routed? Just take simple pictures of my phone and keep them in its own folder. And I also have the, uh, the remarkable two, which I am not endorsed by, but I'm not I familiar. Love. It's like not a e-writer e kind of digital ink notebook thing that oh. I just do all my diagrams, all my sketches. My I have buddies. thousands of pages in here. What's that? My buddy was showing that to me because like it's a it's like a notepad, but when you yep. write on it, it like automatically saves in the cloud. Yep, saves Amazing. in the cloud. Different folders for every project. So for every client that I ha I've done I've done since I've got this, I have a different folder. Just for Honeycomb's folder has a bunch of subfolders, and just the Looper project that I've been working on, there's like thirty five pages that I wrote of notes and diagrams and uh, things as I'm like working through it, and that's just one. I have like hundreds of Mad MIDI pages in here it's everything but it's i believe and it. reference them for different projects going forward and when i show up at that tour i'll have this take my pictures draw up the schematics of like whatever patching and routing each system has and just have it right there know it be able to reference it and that just honestly just helps for internalizing just to get yeah. there and be like i'm going to sketch out the diagram of this whole stage patch just for my own just implanting into my brains, you know, yeah. into my, into my brain space. So that thing is a game changer and a lifesaver, but just knowing, knowing that's what I'm going to do, knowing what the rig is consisting of and what it has to do. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel great. I can't wait. I can't wait to get on the ground and, and, and just meet everybody and learn the rig and, and be a positive member of the crew out on tour and see some amazing new spots and, well, they're lucky to have you. I know that much. So you mentioned auto-tune rig. I'm sure there's a handful of vocalists out there listening. Mm -hmm. um, uh, are you What, what auto-tune are you using? Is this a UAD? Yeah, it'll be UAD-based. Okay. So I think, it's, I think it's two twins, maybe okay. X8Ps or something. Most likely yeah. just twins that... For redundancy. <clears throat> yeah, so each, each mic, I think there's a lead mic that Benny uses, and then there's like a guest and backup mic. Those will come in be split and then go into both twins mm. right when those signals split out um those twins will each receive iac midi from the respective they're one per computer right so right. the main computer a and computer b will each have their own twin which then over iac will readjust tune settings and all that stuff in in uh parallel as they go those will both then feed back out to the um, SW8 switcher, which then whichever one of those is, if luckily, hopefully we stay on A yeah, for most A's. of the tour, preferably A, but if it comes out of A or B, um, yeah, they'll be getting that post console signal coming back out to front of house. So, Have you had any experiences where there was a B light that turned on on stage doing playback? Uh, not personally, luckily, but That's good. hence a 
decent amount of the rigs that I've I've done haven't been redundant just because they're smaller, you know, yeah. independent tours and they're not right. rolling with that much gear yeah. and stuff like that. But yeah. that's learning about redundancy is what led me to Laura and Transmute and Master yeah. Track and all that stuff. I got me too. Titus. Is yeah. that what that's what yeah exactly right that was kind of like that last mysterious like the secret sauce of like how do you take yeah. yeah which is actually really not that crazy or difficult to be honest i mean if, especially if you have like an eye connect or something well, like yeah, that they changed the whole made, game made for that yeah i connect interfaces wish they were using that on this bendy rig as opposed to the sw8 but at the end really? of the day it's it's pretty similar overall yeah. but yeah it's way smaller lighter and does what the interface like i think this rig is going to be motu's hard you know cabled into the sw8s because they're the pre-usb sw8s which do work like the iConnects kind of do where they hook up to the computer usb you're getting virtual inputs into the rig and then spitting out analog whereas this will be motu's for each computer piped into the sw8s and then you choose which one you're listening to there yeah. so um but yeah, not knowing what gear and really how the redundant, like one MIDI controller controlling two sessions at the same time on two different controllers. Cause right. You got to split that incoming thing. If there's right. a drum pad on stage that the drummer's using, um, it needs to be sending MIDI into both sessions. So if one goes down, the other one can still hear that pad. And so, yeah, you're splitting all your incoming control MIDI and then both computers are spitting out the same audio at the same time into a box that you can just choose which one you listen to. So do you have like not, a favorite MIDI interface for that? Uh, the iConnect stuff too. The definitely. Yeah, like yeah. the Mios yeah. um, right. are amazing. Just the flexibility, yeah. the net, they do network MIDI, they do all, you know, multiple inputs on each one and just really flexible in and out port routing and filtering you can say hey this port will listen to any message except this one you know and stuff yeah. like that so yeah. that's really handy for just like saving yourself in a in a pinch yeah for sure for sure one. man we'll probably use some of the kenton stuff too which is a very much more rudimentary you know it's like one midi comes in and it goes out twice yeah. which is great too sometimes you don't need to do more than just that but right. yeah i connect definitely all day yeah. Unless you're Kanye's rig, he's probably got a lot going on and then changes his mind constantly. So, yeah, <laughs> gotta have more than redundant. You're gonna have like tridundant, quaddundant, yeah. you know, hexdundant. Yeah, yeah hexdundancy for that guy. Probably. So, that's an exciting new tour. Are you still working on any music or any like drum videos or anything? Uh, at this point, well, I just fired up the Mad MIDI rig for the first time in a while today to make nice. sure it's all working well, which it was. Yeah. Um, and now that I have that PC, that's the thing I've been kind of one. I've been out since April, almost every single weekend gigging with a bunch of different people, learning yeah. new music, traveling around, setting up different rigs, doing new X32 profiles and stuff like that for whatever gig I have coming up. So I just have not had time to program or perform or record or edit any new stuff like that, really. Um, plus, my computer is just choking on Resolume and Ableton at the same time. It's just old oh, and yeah. tired. Sure. So I was kind of dead in the water on that. Just got this other PC back in hand that will be more than capable of running all that stuff and like Unreal Engine really well. Uh, but at this point, I'm finishing finishing the honeycomb thing. Just picked up a new client that I'm going to pretty much is going to be like next week, just programming her live show and her playback session remotely. Uh, and then I have like a week and a half before I leave on tour. It's just like finalizing tour details, getting ready 
making sure everything back home is ready for me to be gone for a little bit. So my goal is to get back from tour with enough of a bag to kind of chill for a little while and and get back to new Mad Midi, Mad Midi with Unreal Engine, and hopefully writing some new solo tunes and just feeling free enough with my time and with, you know, having some capital to not be stressing money or anything like they're jumping on any gig that comes my way. Yeah, to sit yeah. there for a month or so and like get some new demos together and just like get out some of those ideas. So yeah. by the end of the year, I would say, you know, late October into November will be the cooking. And then uh, December right into January will be the, the, the eating, the serving and the eating of the content. Here's yeah, content so. we cooked three hours ago. Yeah, we're hungry. We want yeah. some content. Everybody wants new content. I'm dying to do it. And that's, you know, is one of the fundamental like, realities of working in this sphere is sometimes it does just take a chunk of change. Like, Oh, your computer, which is kind of your main instrument is like not, can't do what it could do eight months ago. Yeah. And you just got to like shell out. Oh dude. I feel that or more on a new machine. So been there, done that. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the computer thing. Were you running Resolume and Ableton on the same machine? Yeah. And it was doing great for a while, but I think the Ableton session got so much bigger. The OSC mappings and the Resolume session got so much bigger. And it's like a 2017, which now I know are somewhat notorious for like the casing opening up and being a little weird. And it's just like, yeah, I don't bring this one out of the house anymore. Luckily, the MacBook Air I have back here pretty much works for all like simple playback gigs, my DJ gigs, like all that kind of stuff. It couldn't handle the mad MIDI session, but I have that able to do all like the simple utilitarian gigs and this, the MacBook pro just stays here. So it can't get compromised, but yeah, it's just probably filled with dust from having the like sides of it opened up. There's dust bunnies just breeding in there, starting families. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exponential dust bunny breeding within the farm that is my computer. Um, (laughs) But I told myself when I got it, I was like, I'm going to just beat the shit out of this thing doing the most I can get out of it until it can't handle anymore. And hopefully whatever I create with that will get me to the next level, which yeah, looks like it will. And I'll come back from this tour and probably have to get a new, a new uh, computer of some sort. Yeah. I did a very similar thing. I had a Hackintosh that my, my fart Ableton metronome friend built for me. And, uh, I ran Ableton and, uh, I ran Resolume on it and it worked for a little bit, but it was sweating. Yep. And then uh, there was just like certain apps, certain stuff that wasn't just really working, like loopback was being weird on it and other stuff. So I was like, you know, I'm not going to try to use Hackintoshing anymore. I just need like a computer that works, just a straight Mac or something. What did you end up getting? It was like a hybrid. It was kind of a Frankenstein. We had a Samsung SSD. I'm trying to remember what the motherboard was. But your was. new one, well, you said you got oh, an M1, yeah. but what the did new you one. get a, yeah, a yeah. Mac Pro or did you get a MacBook Pro? or an, um, I got a Mac Mini. Yeah, yeah, I got the M1 Mac Mini. It was like the first gen. It came out like a year and a half ago is when I got That's it. That's honestly what I think I want. I think I want two. I like it. Just two Mac Minis in a little mini Pelican case yep. that maybe have like a one screen that I can yeah. switch between which one I'm looking at and I can do redundant i can do audio and video i can yep. do playback and recording and just have like a super flexible two definitely computers. man and you can use your ipad as a screen too as a monitor so exactly. i mean and then yeah you just plug an eth- uh, ethernet cable between the two of them they sync up they link up really easy 
Exactly. So, and it's small. It's a tiny little thing. Smaller than the other Mac Minis. Yep. So what I'm going to try to do when I get no back. No fan noise. It's great for the studio, too, because there's no fan. Unlike this thing, which probably sounds like I have a jet landing in my house right now. <laughs> yeah, it's just blowing. It's really just a, a fan for you at this point, just blowing, keeping you I cool. Wish. It's kind of hot in here today. <laughs> yeah. Can I run to the bathroom real quick? Actually, I have to pee, too. I'll be right back. We can wrap it up soon. Yeah. So as far as, like, tech stuff... Are there any like new toys or like MIDI controllers or instruments or anything that you found interesting lately? I'm, I've been out of a new gear lust phase for a while, you know, like <laughs> went hard during the beginning of COVID and stuff like that. Just like getting all the little doodads I needed to either stream and do all the, you know, lighting and all that kind of stuff. And then once gigs were on the horizon again like that, there was definitely a few things I got to like not have to take parts off my other so i did a lot of buying another version of something like i got an x32 rack so i don't have to bring the main one out oh nice yeah. got a little simple but awesome like gretsch catalina club kit that i found that was used uh, allegedly it looked like the dude had never touched it in his life that's awesome got that easily for bringing out yeah i love that thing so um not really uh that way but because I'm on this touch OSC and now with the user actions and cliff X, like that is my new sauce right now. Cause yeah. that was one thing I wanted to mention before with the user actions, I can now write fully customized cliff X actions. And by knowing how to read that API pretty proficiently now and having some good, you know, mentors to help kind of look through existing user actions and understand them. I now feel like the sky is the absolute limit. I can think of any logic-based kind of functions in Ableton that I need and make make them from scratch. So I can just make my own new shit. That was That's one of the huge. things we did for Honeycomb. I needed an action that would re, you know, if, if in the currently selected clip slot, it's like a list of little com micro commands that it does to create this new action, which I named skip if clip or skip to empty is what I ended up calling it which when I use that cliff X bracket skip to empty, it will look at the currently selected clip slot, index the number of the slot and the scene number, say, does this have a, a clip in it? If not, record a new clip at this variable clip, you know, length variable that's been predetermined. And if there is a clip, jump to the next empty clip. If you're on track one and three over have clips, it'll jump to track four or whatever. So it'll always find the next blank one on the same scene and then start recording. So Honeycomb can literally hit one button and do it. And that, That's the cool. ability to think of what it needed to do and then figure out how to write it with the API and the back end of, of CliffX with a user action. That's, as I said, like God mode now. So yeah. just being able to think of any wild, crazy Ableton functionality, program it with that, and then make a custom control on my iPad for it that's my new toys and new sauce really that's so, so dope yeah. that's, that's amazing that's the one i'd reference there for sure and then unreal now that i have this pc back in hand uh with the crazy rtx you know 6000 graphics card in it and crazy amounts of uh, thread ripper now i can really dig into unreal and and trying to use that in new and creative ways uh for my own show and for other people's too that's so. really cool man yeah i think when I start playing shows in the near future, right now I'm just in writing mode. I might mm -hmm. hit you up at some point to just pick your brain on some cliff X looping. 
Because I've run it, I've run into a few different hurdles that I think you probably could figure out within a few seconds. I got <laughs> so, you. Yeah. Any, yeah. Anything that can be to help, whether you're looping audio or looping incoming MIDI, both of them. Yeah. Most likely audio. It'll probably be all audio. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, man. I Which got you. Be, yeah, because there's be a, some fundamental things about Ableton that make looping without the looper, without CliffX, very weird, and that you can't overdub onto an audio clip. Which I get right. is because the non-destructive audio model behind Ableton is fundamental to the way it works, but is a little tricky when you want to just, I just want to add another layer to this fixed length yep. looping piece of audio. So we, we've overcome that with that custom skip to empty action, but yeah, we can, can definitely help customize whatever that would be sick. functionality that you want or anybody yeah. listening wants, by the way. That's right. Anybody <laughs> out there. You have, no, you have no excuse not to find out from this guy. Exactly. Yeah, man. There's a, speaking of audio, there's this new toy. I saw Andrew Huang just posted a video about it today, so I think they probably sponsored him too. But Vaclia? Yeah, Vaclia. Have you played with these? I haven't been hands-on with it. We had the original. Is that the new one? This is the two. Yeah, this is the new one. The the one the, the person oh, I forget the homie from the company but came and did a transmute session and the first one was amazing but I heard the second one is like crazy we, yeah. we kind of want to get that into Honeycomb's rig too at some point I was gonna talk to him about that and definitely like you should you should definitely play with it. I think he would love it it has some good pre built sounds into the standalone app yeah and uh, it definitely just works really well with the standalone app but it also works really well as a MIDI obviously it, the latency is very low. I was surprised because yep. I played with the first gen because yep. my buddy bought it and I played with it. But second gen is definitely much faster. Uh, it's more intuitive. Like the actual pitch bending between notes, I feel like is a lot smoother. Right. So there's a lot of advantages, I think, for the like second multiple gen. Multiple commands that can come out for a sound too, right? Like can send a note to trigger a sample, but can it also can like do a macro list of actions or at least trigger a CC or an action or something? Yeah. So like yeah, exactly. So like I could by doing a certain sound or something, right? Yeah. So if I'm it's singing awesome. into this mic, then I could have it playing like serum or whatever. And I could have one track, I could send out separate CC values. Like one value could be for the chord tab mm -hmm. in the standalone. So it'll play out chords and I can predefine like to only sing within a certain key. Um, and then it also has a feature in the chords tab in the standalone app to also do following bass notes. So you mm. can send out a separate CC in the chord section. It'll follow the chord, but it'll also play a bass line separate out into a different track that you could record, which is yeah, really exactly. cool too. I remember reading some something about, yeah, explaining yeah. that. Like, oh my God, the possibilities. There's so many things. When his beatboxing are very vocally based. It's that's, yeah. That's kind of what I'm working on right now. And that's a big reason for the live looping is the audio aspect. If I just wanted to use the sound straight out of the standalone, because I don't want to run a bunch of plugins inside of my Ableton session. If I don't have to, right. then, you know, I could do the beatboxing, loop it, just start layering that. And I think Honeycomb, would, he's already he's already doing that kind of stuff, but it's not really audio. That way, yeah. I mean, that articulation, that level of control and getting, you know, MIDI values and data right off the vocal performance without needing to post-process and do like audio to MIDI to then scale it to this within Ableton is massive. So yeah. Or people who have make a script for it, you know, make something like anytime you see this note or value come in from Voclia, like do this to the session. So yeah. 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 This doubler too is a cool mic. 
Uh, another thing that I, like I just got in the mail. So many. It's been like Christmas lately, dude. I've been getting all these new toys. This uh, Wavering by Genki. Oh, Genki. Yep. Yeah, yeah, this thing's dope. I was playing with this the other day. I posted a little video on Instagram. What's it oh. like to drum with it? That's the thing. I haven't seen any drummers with it before, but I, I thought haven't. like. There's so many things you could do because it has three buttons on it. So you could use one for capture. I know DaVinci does that. Um, yep. I saw a tutorial video of him doing that. One button could be capture. You could hit stop, play, record. You could have it trigger a clip that has a command in CliffX to do whatever else you wanted, obviously. Um, yeah. This, over a filter. Over yeah, a filter. Synth, but then you're drumming. Like the division of your hi-hat would be that. Yeah, exactly, dude. Even just like, because my, my drum set's like across the room too. So just even for recording, I mean, it's kind of a game changer. You could record that filter automation in um, or just hit stop and start record. So yeah, this thing's really fun. I'm really a huge fan of this. If you like do it, like if you get that, sending CCs into the computer, out to your Moog's filter CC or something like yeah. that. And like a note, you know, hold on. Yeah. Like that, I'd yeah. blow up too. Exactly. Be... That's that's my plan. I have a buddy who's coming out here from LA. He's really good with video, and I think we're going to probably play with some of these toys and see what kind of weird video we can come up with. Sick. Question is just finding time to actually work on that. <laughs> yeah, that really is. That's the one thing that's the hardest to get. Yeah, if, get more of it. If you figure out how to time travel, please let me know. I'm working on it. That's a uh, next user action that I'm. <laughs> <laughs> the next. <laughs> I will Maybe. shout out one cool piece of gear that's a little similar to that, which is the proximity from Copper and Cedar, uh, the homie Ruben Dax. It's like this, okay. uh, it looks like a little wooden kind of um, hockey puck shaped thing with an IR sensor in it that can do, you know, like theremin style controls or CCs or parameter touchless. Ooh. And what I'm using it for, it's down next to my Moog. So when I'm streaming, when I reach down to tweak something on the Moog, it sees my hand. And as long as it's on and sending a CC, it switches to an insert shot in OBS. So that Whoa. CC comes into Ableton, gets turned into a keystroke that is held down as long as the thing is sending a value. So I can get an insert shot of what I'm doing down on my synth. And as soon as I take my hand away, the shot goes away. So That's it's using amazing. it just to visually see my hand, which is like amazing for you know, not having to switch cameras or do anything like that in uh, in OBS, but still getting shots only when I need them. That's, and I think we're going to do that with Honeycomb at some point too, is have a few of those around his rig. Yeah, he wants yeah. to get a live video behind him of what he's kind of doing with his setup. And if he's got a couple of those proximities that will only see his hand when he's on this synth or on this drum pad, yeah. it'll pretty much be directing the video shoot for him based on just what he's doing. So yeah, got to shout out the Copper and Cedar Proximity. Cop, yeah. How much do those run? It's like less than 100 bucks. I think he's selling really? for like $85 or something. They're like handmade, like beautiful wood. I would grab mine, but it's kind of like mounted in there yeah. in a, the perfect spot. So, but so how, yeah, maybe how drop you, a link in or something. How do you run that into a scene like in in uh, OBS? I'm just curious. Like, does it so have... I, I have it set to send a, you can send it to a note or a CC or even a scale, right? Which is cool for controlling synths and stuff like theremin yeah. style. Yeah. Um, so it sends a CC, which goes, yeah, I have a channel in Ableton that listens track in on from the proximity that just literally sends that 
CC straight back out into a network session that goes to my OBS streaming computer and then comes into Bohm's on there, uh, which yeah. turns it into a keystroke, which is a toggle on off hotkey for that inserted shot in OBS. So yeah. as long if it the proximity is sending any value, aka sees my hand, it acts like that keystroke is just being held down. As soon as it's gone, it goes away. So it's like mm. the act pretty, That's pretty smart. simple <laughs> by, yes. by our standards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, but it makes sense. I mean, yep. if you if you know the basic of how to use bombs, setting up a keystroke is not hard. Right, bombs, just sees that yeah. CC, turns it into a keystroke, which is the only thing for anybody who doesn't use OBS or isn't super familiar is the only mapping in OBS currently is with keystrokes instead of right. it, OBS just accepted MIDI. Yeah, I could just have the thing plugged right into the streaming computer and doing kind that. Kind of but shocking that they don't. Right? Yeah, it's a little it's, weird. It is a little weird. Um, but I, you know, it's open source and that was just and it's free. Yeah, it's free, so you can't complain too much. To implement, so I understand, yeah. and luckily this works well enough yeah. that way. So yeah, have as the the insert to Moog under the table Moog uh, insert shot, which is is pretty. I was gonna try to do it with an Arduino. I'm like, make a pro, you know, an uh, IR sensor thing and do all the programming, but Ruben, uh, Ruben Dax, who is is copper and cedar, created this beautiful all in one unit with this great little editor and that's worked, nice, worked perfectly. So that's yeah. awesome. That I one. kind of I did something kind of similar, sort of. I just took my launch pad and I basically mm -hmm. turned it into a stream deck by doing yep. the same thing and the having keystrokes in bombs yep. sending into Resolum. It's yeah, because I didn't want to pay like 200 bucks <laughs> for another one. Yeah, uh, stream, I mean, stream decks stream deck. are very cool. And there's a few things that they do on their own that is uh, like it can be directly mapped to scenes in OBS, which I don't understand how that does that and like nothing else does. But beyond point. just that function, yeah, it's almost recreatable with like other MIDI controllers or free, free yeah. stuff. So props on, on the retrofit there. The Thanks. Retrofit stream deck functionality. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate that. Yeah, I'm. There's like, I don't know, endless things we could probably continue to talk about. The video side of things is interesting to me. I'm learning more about, so I'm, I'm setting up a studio. I'm looking at a couple places in Denver right now to do in-person podcasts. Yeah. And so I'm looking at video switchers and trying to make it so like, okay, how can I do less post-production and how can I just make it as simple as possible so I don't have to do more work later? Doing yeah. video follows audio. There's a, a Roland, I think it's VH1 that does that pretty well. Um, it's just like a little box. And so like Man. when somebody's talking, it automatically just does camera switches for you. That's fire. So um, I'm looking at it. It's, a, it's like 650 bucks or so. There's other ones yeah, out there that can do too. Right? If you just had an audio to MIDI Max for Live device, which is free included with the suite on a channel that says, you know, take as soon as you see audio, create this note or it would be any number of notes, but then you could put it into a scale device. So any of the notes that it spits out when it hears your voice coming in, turn into just one note that then come out of the channel, turn into a keystroke for that person seen in OBS so that you can then it's just true. make the different channels that listen to the different mics turn into their own individual notes to their own keystrokes. And boom. Anytime someone's talking in, it'll trigger actually that really output and do that. So, and you already have the bones to, that going right that's true i love your brain it's a good idea that's <laughs> you a know, good idea save yourself 650 exactly that's a good point 
Wait, so you that whole mentioned- workflow of not wanting to deal with a ton of post-production was like a huge part of why I wanted to get this whole system kind of figured out so that camera switches are happening automatically. The mix is all getting done in real time in the board and getting baked in with the video, but I can still multi-track record if I do need to go back and save something or triage it. Um, all yeah. the lighting is happening right there. And yeah, I can pretty much at this point, I have to turn everything on and get it all fired up. But once I do that, I'm making, even if I'm not streaming it in real time, I'm just recording pretty much a finished video product right there yeah. into OBS, which is, yeah, and yeah. Just so much better than sitting around syncing it up and editing it and dealing with all that, which is Ain't nobody brutal. got time for that. Eventually, we'll just have AI that does all that for us. We'll just be like, hey, I want you to edit this video and make it dope. <laughs> yes 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 master yeah, yeah that'll be that'll be the best once it, once you can just prompt it the way you can do with the the art that's, now that's the dream yeah get, have you have you tried that have you tried any ai art stuff a few yeah honeycomb was doing it at his house when i was there and we put a couple prompts into it i gotta i gotta get back to it you know try I feel like i always have the best ideas when i'm like driving and can't write it down or do anything and right. i forget when i like could try it but true true yeah there's one, uh, it's, a, it's a Discord server called Midjourney. Have you yeah. heard of that one? Yeah. Yep. That's the one I played with. It's actually really cool. Works really that's well. That's the one he was using too. Yeah. Yeah, it's really popular right now. Then there's the Dolly or whatever, but that's like the invite only one or something, right? Oh, it's but super exclusive. It's Martyr. Yeah, exactly. So VIP. Exclusive. Yeah. You have to like buy an NFT of an ape or something to get in. <laughs> You're not hearing as much about these NFTs these days. <laughs> yeah, you're really not. It got a lot quieter. <laughs> people aren't talking about them all the time anymore. But we'll, yeah, see. we'll see. I don't know, man. I think it's all so new. It'll yeah. take a while for people to kind of adopt technology that's very foreign to the average person, you know? Right. I don't want that statement I just made to age like milk. So I'm not anti-NFT. I'm just right. Yeah, just yeah. not super in on like making them and trading them and selling them yet to the point where... Yeah, me neither. Me neither. So. Yeah. I think it's a cool concept. I've got other things I'm saving money for other than NFTs at this point in my life, but that'll probably change at some point. I've already, I have a couple, but. I want to make, I feel like the Mad Mini and making unique performance video clips that it like this one moment of this one performance, which is totally unique on its own, could be turned into one and yeah. make my own that way. So totally I'm could. trying to get to that point once again, having this PC and having some serious graphics card firepower yeah. around um, could help yeah. expedite that process. So that'd be dope. Not ruling it out. Another idea oh. I had for one was literally just like take the mad MIDI pages, like the hundreds of pages that I have in here, export them as like their individual PDFs, make it an NFT that if printed out would be like the side of a house, like big enough to fill <laughs> like all that. And it's also the entire roadmap to mad MIDI. But you know, you buy it that way, and like that'd be kind of cool. Half a million cool bucks, idea. great deal. Half a million dollars, yeah. <laughs> great deal. That's half that's off. A, yeah, that is. That's a good idea. You could buy three of them. Exactly. <laughs> Why not? Give good, them to your friends. Stocking stuffer. It'd be a stocking stuffer. A digital stocking, of course. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Of course. I mean, in the metaverse, it would be a nice stocking. It would be on yeah, a fireplace. Could design you an NFT of a stocking. You could stuff it in there. Right. You just imagine the warm glow of the fireplace next to the stocking. <laughs> yeah it's been awesome hanging out with you man and catching up uh i've i have to head out and i know we're we've been going on time for a while it's been two hours like two hours dude that doesn't right happen now, all baby. the time that's when you know it's a good episode hell yeah anybody who's made it this far 
That's right, dude. Yeah, keep me updated. And if you ever come through the Denver hood, definitely hit me up. I'll be back out there. Good. Yeah, I'll buy you a drink or food or whatever. And yeah, let's do a show or something. I gotta once I can bring Mad Mini back out on the road, which I will be able to do yeah. with this PC and getting my stuff back together like early, you know, next spring before college is done or something like that would be that'd be sick. Yeah. Definitely yeah. let's chat about about getting some some co bills or something like that going on. I'd love that. For sure. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'm a lot of venues in Denver, so I'm sure people would love to see you play out here. I love being out there. I love I used to come out there and play with that band, the Indo Box, a good amount and it, oh, yeah, sweet. the music scene. My buddies Les Special have been out there crushing it on the regular. They just did Red Rocks with Umfreeze a couple months ago. And oh, dope. Yeah. There, so I actually had tickets to that show. Somebody gave me and I didn't make it. Uh, but special. Yeah, Umphreys is classic. Yep. Throwback. Yeah. Those are my homies. The, um, the uh, well, Umphreys dudes are, are good guys too, but Little Special are some of my oldest boys. And go back with them homies cutting our teeth in the woods of New England back when we were 15, 16 years old playing house parties. And it's awesome to see what, what they're up to and, and yeah. on the rise. And just the Colorado music scene loves them and is a, just a yeah. great spot. So you're in a great place for that. Um, I feel I'm that, jealous, man. Hopefully, I'll be back sooner than later. Yeah, dude, come. You just have more friends out here to come visit. So, yeah, yeah, Denver's a beautiful scene, man. It's so beautiful, and like, it's it's easy to stay inspired. I think yep. when you're in a good music community. So, it was excited to be here. So, come, come, hang, come visit. I will. Yeah, the weed is very strong. And <laughs> I barely, I barely puff anymore, man. I do sometimes when my back hurts, but I, I finally graduated like old man status, or like. That's one good. hit of herb i'm like wasted oh yeah me too yeah yeah i gotta be careful out here i'm trying to be productive so gotta cut yourself off at some point yeah it's like maybe one before bed at this point if i was to smoke herb in the day day is done the day is <laughs> ruined for me at this point which is you know back in the back in the day yeah well, not always the case that's true that's true yeah good to be in touch with your you know the realities of your limitations are just like that's not helping. <laughs> That's not helping anymore. So it's yeah, good. part of the problem is caffeine's not as helping as much as it used to either. I just drink twice as much. I think I've had like five coffees yeah. today, hence how we've gone for two hours. Problem <laughs> solved. I'm in the episode of Futurama where Fry is just like in just super <laughs> slow motion, like running around. That's such a good show. Uh, Love it. Oh my God. Cool, man. Well, thank yeah, you so much yeah. for having me on. It's great to Absolutely. chat. Absolutely. Yeah, wait, wait. Before we jump off, where's the best place for people to connect with you if they want to like really? hit you up online or something? I'd say Instagram at Jules Jensen, J U L E S J E N S S E N, or email me, Jules Jensen at Gmail. I'm barely going Facebook anymore because it's just depressing and triggering and gross and yeah. pretty much mostly boomers. Um. I feel that way about Twitter without the boomers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Twitter's just overwhelming. I I have one, but I like don't really use it yet. Mm -hmm. uh, but I should. Yeah. Uh, and the TikTok I had, and then I deleted it off my phone in Electric Forest, so I had space to take photos, and I haven't put it back on yet. But then they were like, "It's a huge security breach," and I was like, uh, "Is it worth the fame <laughs> that I won't get?" Like I don't know. So. <laughs> Hit me on Instagram or email me for now, folks. I'm reachable. Yeah, maybe TikTok someday. I'll include all those links in the show notes, everybody. Uh, so just go down there and click it. Follow Jules. Dude, good catching up with you. If you see Robert on tour, tell him Dan says hi. Yeah, I'm going to actually literally make a note to hit up Trusco right now. Dude, you should. I'm Dude, sure he'd love to see you. 
Dresco. Yeah, we've we've definitely kept in touch uh, periodically, but would love to catch him in person and hang down there. Yes, sir. Maybe you can exploit him for some good bass loops and record him while you're down there. The best bass loops. Yeah, for sure. All right, dude. Well, take it easy, man. It's good seeing you as always. Um, Can't wait to hear it and see it and share it around when it's out. And uh, I'll do a part two at some point. In person, for sure. Yes, agreed. Yeah, we'll nerd out hard. All right, man, man, take it easy. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you. You too, dude. Have a good tour. Thank you, brother. I'll see you later. Peace. Peace. Later. Yo, thanks everybody for listening to the podcast. Make sure you give Jules a follow, subscribe, comment on all of his stuff. Once again, if you don't hate the podcast, please leave a review wherever you're listening. And if you want to hang out, connect with me, ask questions, whatever, uh, join the Discord. Go to liveproducersonline.com slash Discord. Love to meet you there. And yeah, if you want to join the newsletter, go to liveproducersonline.com slash newsletter. Check back on Tuesdays for new episodes, and I will see you next time. Bye-bye.